everybody, Jason Martin here, and I just wanted to let you know that in case you didn't hear last week's uh, podcast episode, this is actually part two. It's a continuation of the conversation that uh, Warren was having with uh, Karen Smith and Jennifer Jones. And if you haven't heard part one, I would strongly encourage you to listen to that first and then come back and check this episode out. Uh, The episode will just pick up right in the middle of their conversation where we left off last week. So with that said, uh, here's part two. I've been thinking this week about this, this story that, uh, so I was, uh, this, uh, this preacher one time who's a male preacher told me the story of kind of how he was first kind of where, when and where he first started thinking about ministry. And, and he told this story very affectionately about him being, I think he was like in kindergarten or something. And he told the story of him being in his like kindergarten Bible class and this male elder at their church coming to their Bible class. And he said, we were all like sitting in a circle. And he said, he would say to all the boys, you're going to be a great preacher someday. Mm-hmm. And he said to all the girls, you're going to be a great preacher's wife someday. <laughs> and it was just that like, that like, sh- distinct black and white like difference between the two like there's a lot of assumptions made there even mm-hmm. especially with the with the girls right for one thing you're going to be married that wasn't made for the men <laughs> for mm-hmm. one thing you're going to get married to a man and 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 be a, a minister's wife and mm-hmm. just that like dichotomy of like that's how people are seen in a lot of churches from early early on that you can have this certain role or you can have this certain role, but there's this like line really for both, for both genders mm-hmm. going both directions. That like these are the things open to you and these are the things that are not. And mm-hmm. and I think that's that's very problematic, I think. If we truly want to have um, places where we're valuing all voices and empowering all people and encouraging people to bring what they have to the kingdom of God and, and for the church to be a place where they can express who they are at the deepest kind of core of themselves in, in service to loving others and loving God. Mm-hmm. I, that was definitely assumption on my life made as well. Um, in college undergrad, I majored in biblical text. And at the time, there were not very women, very many women in the department, just a couple of us. But um, I heard that more than once that, you know, you're just here to like, you're going to make a great preacher's wife one day. And I was so insulted because I was just like, that's not why I'm here. It ostracized me from both the men and the women and made me like untouchable for everybody because <laughs> Nobody knew what to do with that, but it frustrated me too. And much like back to the Mary and Martha, I remember thinking, that's actually not it. Like, I just want to sit at his feet and learn. That really is why I'm here. Um, But I think a lot of people just didn't know what to do with that. I don't, you know, we don't have a category (laughs) for a woman 
that wants to do that. And so mostly we're just going to ignore you um, in <laughs> yeah. that, which well, might see, be better than speaking yeah. to me. <laughs> what's so interesting about hearing y'all just kind of talk about Mary, that, that Mary and Martha story is that I think for me, I think I relate more to Martha with perhaps any other character in the New Testament. Um, and I think it's why I feel myself like really wanting to defend Martha. Mm. Uh, so again, Sunday, you can listen to Sunday's sermon. <laughs> but I found yeah. myself really wanting to defend Martha. And, um, but we make so many assumptions about Martha that are really based out of gender stereotypes. Mm-hmm. That, well, she must have been focused on these things, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. When none of those things are, are included in the story. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's these assumptions that we make about, well, it's, the text says this, so that must mean that since she's a woman preoccupied, quote unquote, with, with preparations, it must mean this. And then we fill in the blanks there for Martha. Mm-hmm. With with things that that we end up just assuming about her because she's a woman preoccupied with preparations, and so we assume mm-hmm. like what that what that means when none of it is actually like there, you know. Absolutely, um, I think there's a lot of frustration for me when I think about the way that that passage has been taught, and it's. I think. I've experienced, it's put me in an impossible situation of we have all of the expectations for you to be like Martha in the way that we see her and prepare all the food, do all the things, keep the house clean, invite all the guests, be hospitable, all of these things. And yet when we read this passage, we absolutely expect you to be like Mary because that's better. Mm. But you have to still get everything else done (laughs) because we're not going to do it. Yeah. And so it's the stuff that Martha does, but with the heart and attitude of Mary, right? Yep. And make time to spend, you know, at the feet of Jesus, because that's really what we want from you at the end of the day. And I, I don't know, part of me is just like, really, even if the laundry doesn't get done and dinner's not ready and (laughs) all of these things, are you really okay with that? Like, (laughs) So I do have a lot of compassion for Martha in that story too, at least the way that she often gets preached about. Man, I would have been big mad if I was her and feeling like I was doing all the right things culturally, expectations. You know, we don't know exactly what she was doing, but right. she seemingly was working her tail off in a very hospitable way. <laughs> and I, that would have been frustrating, but then I'd like to think too, that if I was in that room and Jesus walked in the door, I'd have been like, Oh, forget it. I am sitting here. I I want to know what he has to say. There's no way I'm going to the kitchen right now. <laughs> like I want to hear, hear this man. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I think know. that's not to sidetrack us too much on this story, but I do think that's part of the irony that has kind of stood out, stood out to me this week is I think, I think, the main point that Luke is driving to in that story is that Jesus is validating that Mary has a spot at his feet in a place mm-hmm. where traditionally only men would have a spot. Mm-hmm. And he's yeah, validating that for her. Mm-hmm. And I think we miss that when we make, when we make the story about 
Martha is this woman who's just too preoccupied with everything in the house being perfect for Jesus, and she just needs to relax. Mm-hmm. And I think it's ironically like a way of sort of furthering sort of patriarchal ideas mm, yep. in a way that Jesus is trying to deconstruct, and we, mm-hmm. we, we miss it. Yep, we're not mm. only going to have all of these patriarchal expectations, but now we're going to make you feel bad about them. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me of, you know, I said that I've always really related to Mary in that story, but this summer we um, did on Wednesday nights a book by uh, Jennifer Garcia Bashaw that's called Scapegoats, and in it I kind of it brought to light something that now may actually have surpassed for me um, relating to Mary. And now I have a new favorite uh, female figure that I relate to, which is um, the Samaritan woman at the well. And the thing that I had never realized until I read that book was that that was the very first time that Jesus um, revealed to anyone that he was Messiah. And it was to a woman, and not only a woman, but a Samaritan woman. So, like, very much other and all of that. And the the thing that I find to be so beautiful about that story is how they are just, like, going back and forth. And he's treating her as if she has enough depth and and insight to get what he has to say in in a way that like um she compared it to right before that he had been talking to Nicodemus and he just didn't get it like he did not get the the what Jesus was saying he was taking it like at face value literally you know all of that but this woman it's almost kind of like they're she called it like Um, their entire dialogue had been a dance of reciprocity volleying between theological queries and personal revelations. So at the end, it is only fitting that the woman invites Jesus to share his greatest personal and theological revelation. And I just Mm -hmm. love that. Like, I love the idea of like Jesus not seeing her as a woman or a Samaritan, but just as someone who gets it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that he can just talk to and and like she can meet him at that level and i think that that's what i'm trying to get at is that sometimes i feel like even with you know the pope's comment about it you know that her theology wasn't as deep i feel like sometimes i feel like i'm fighting for respect that my theology can be just as deep that that you know i and i think that it might be to some extent just that my approach is not masculine and my way of communicating it is not masculine. And so because of that, there is, and I don't think anyone's doing it like on purpose. They don't even realize they're doing it, but it's just not quite as valued. My voice Mm -hmm. isn't quite as authoritative on it. It, it's met with a little bit more like, eh, I don't know, kind of. And, and that's where, I don't, I don't know, that's, I feel that that's something that just church and culture in general, we have to work towards, mm-hmm. is I don't want to be seen as a woman that has these insights. I just want to be a person 
with mm-hmm. these insights. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I wish I knew more about the history of the Catholic Church specifically. Um, in it, it struck me in reading his comments how, um, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but just how he sees. Mary as mother of the church and that that's like what we're, we're missing out on that, um, like female motherly view. And yes. So what if, what if you're not a mom? What if you're not that? Can you just be Jennifer in all of the feminine and maybe even some masculine things that you bring to the table? Can, can we just be who he made us to be? And is that good for the church? (laughs) Um, yes. But it, I I wish I knew the history of the Catholic Church. So last year I went with seminary to Italy, and on that trip we were it was a class looking at women in the church and in art specifically. And there's um, we each had to teach one day, and so I taught on Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, but Mary as. Um, disciple and more than just mother of the church, which the Catholic church is strongly calls her the mother of the church, but the art specifically showing her the earliest art, she is depicted in vestments that are what the Pope wears. And so there's a, just a few, there's a handful of churches that still have them. One is in Rome, St. John's Lateran. It's one of the four biggest Roman Catholic churches in Rome and she is now hidden behind an altar that was built during the Byzantine period, so you can't really see her. But she's if you look behind it, she's there in this pallium that only the popes wore. And so as I researched her for that, was just uncovering art specifically and a few extra canonical texts that were talking about Mary as... Um, more model disciple and leader of the early church and pictures in churches that still were prominently hung of her at Pentecost, but she's front and center with her arms open in an Oran's pose and all the disciples are around her looking to her. And so it's just, she's posed even as these, as I say more than mother, um, but leader as well. And I, wonder how how did we get from uh so far from you look at this woman who had an amazing faith you know she was 14 15 maybe when she had Jesus writing the magnificat that is like one of the most theologically rich songs out there and it has all of this old testament theology that it points she has such a deep faith and it's clear that she relies on the spirit all through him. And then we see her there in Pentecost and following Jesus, um, then at Pentecost. And then the art that we have after just depicts her as such a leader of the church. And it makes sense when you think about a group of younger disciples, especially in that, like, you know, maybe in that upper room, we don't know if she was there when they were waiting specifically, but we know they had to have looked to her of like, Hey, you knew him your whole life uh, or his whole life. Like 
you were there for everything. And so what do we do now? And I just think that she had a big role in that that was beyond her mother skills. <laughs> I think those played into it. And I think those were great and beautiful things. And I think that all of those good qualities of being a mom were helpful in that moment of the birth of the early church. But I also want to see her beyond her capacity to birth, even Jesus, um, even him. I think that God delights in who she is as a person. And I think that would be my longing for the church to see women like a, a delight in the way that he made you. If you're a tomboy, we're going to delight in that. And we're going to delight in the way that you see beauty and nature that maybe we don't. And if you love to be crafty and make things and be hospitable and be a wonderful, tender mother, we're going to delight in that too. And I just, I think men and women are different I don't think that is a bad thing, but I also equally hate the generalization of that because I think there's a lot of people and times we fill different roles and things like that that we we can't fit in this nice little box. Um, but I wish the church would delight in each of us no matter where we're at. Um, yeah. You know, we, we talk about, yeah, that, that, that men and women are different. I think that is true. And I think also, though, it's hard to see where, like, sort of church and society both, where, like, societal expectations and church expectations or teachings are sort of leading the way and which one is influencing the other. Because mm-hmm. um, I think to, to sort of kind of think about this from the male masculine perspective there is very much culturally this idea that you should push away anything that is seen as feminine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was eating, even reading an article a while back about like, why do American men struggle to make lasting friendships? And, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons was, well, well, friendships are seen as feminine and men try to, to sort of push away anything that is seen as feminine in nature or expression. And, and when I first thought about that, I was like, no, that's not true. And then as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I think that is actually, <laughs> that's probably accurate. And then none of us would articulate it that way probably, but that mm-hmm. it's like that it's this undercurrent of just, there are certain things that are seen as like, that's, that's a feminine thing to do. That's a, that's a girly thing to do. And that to embrace that is somehow denying sort of my cultural masculinity. And, and I, I think that's, that's problematic for us as men too. And, Mm -hmm. and so having these, like, these sort of like stereotypical, this is, this is what a woman can, can bring or do. And this is what a man can bring or do are problematic in any number of ways, both for who we give voice and and influence to in, in our society and churches in places of influence, but also to just how we go about thinking about ourselves and our lives and our choices and, um, like I've used the example, so here I have my, my Yeti here. I've used the example here at church a lot. Like there were times, I think this is called like sea mist or something is the color of this Yeti, I think. <laughs> and I've used the example several times at church there. 
there are there was a definitely a point in my life not too long ago when I've been like this is not a masculine enough color mm-hmm. for me to like carry around as a yeti cup and then as I was I remember like having the moment looking at it online where I was like what a stupid thing to think <laughs> like I like this mm-hmm. color what should it matter what other people think about is this manly enough to be wearing mm-hmm. around, to be like carrying around as a as a cup and just how stupid that is mm-hmm. um but but I think we do a lot of those things and so then it's hard to see like so where is culture driving it and where is theology driving it and where those things intersect is sometimes I think they become so entangled that it's almost impossible to deconnect from each other. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we import cultural expectations onto scripture and scriptural expectations onto culture. And it all becomes kind of inter- intertwined with each other. I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think the masculine expectations hurt men too. Yes, right. Um, just as much as they hurt women. I think it is, it's not good for men either. Um, I think we've kind of lied to ourselves as a culture and said, you know, all these things are inherently good that we see as masculine, that, that rough and tough, and I'm going to say it like it is, you know. Yeah, say it, like it, say it like it is. I can't show emotion. Can't have close friendships. Um, can't, can't carry that Yeti. Can't carry that Yeti. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I do think that's part of the value of just empowering and giving voice to everyone is that some of those things mm-hmm. are kind of hopefully broken down. Mm-hmm. And so I guess to kind of to kind of wrap up our conversation for today, at least I, I appreciate all, all that y'all have shared and some questions y'all have kind of brought up. But I guess kind of for a final question for today would be maybe what does it look like to more fully em- empower women in our churches and faith communities? And I think, again, to go back to something I said at the very beginning, there are probably some obvious answers to that, but there may be ones that are more sort of subtle or, or underneath the surface. So what would, what would you all say to that? Because I think it's something we've, we've tried to do here, especially in places of leadership. Like we have, I mean, we've talked about it recently. We have a seven-person membership, um, seven-person leadership team here. And of the six sort of like lay quote unquote lay members, three are women, three are men. It was something we were intentional about doing. Um, and so I think we've tried to take some of those steps, but I also know that because I am the primary preaching voice here, most of our preaching voice is still male. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of wrestling with some of that too. So I'm curious to hear what y'all think about that. Just what does it look like to more fully empower women in, in our churches and, places of of influence I would definitely agree with the leadership um in all capacities again I've I've been a part of spaces that say uh, there's kind of an arbitrary line you know and well we love women but you can you can go this far but not this far and uh there's something still insulting about that I guess that just feels like if um, uh, let's say preaching, for example, you can use my mind to help you generate ideas, but you can't use my body or my mouth to speak those to the church. And mm-hmm. so you will use what you can of women or to bounce ideas off of, does this land with you? But 
you know, maybe it can't be delivered from a woman or the elders that go home and talk to their wives, but she, she's not allowed to step in that room. Um, that's over the line. And so I think bringing women into those leadership spaces, whether it's eldership or the pulpit, um, I think is important. A fun, um, game I sometimes have played with myself. I, just somebody was telling me this in like the last six months um, is, would you say that if you were, if I were a man? And it really has changed a lot. It's funny how, I mean, even in reading social media remarks or something like that, uh, there's, I can't remember her name right now, but there is somebody that I follow. I think it's on threads, but she, all she does is post quotes that, um, but she flips them like that. And it, it's so absurd. And like many people don't get the tongue in cheek joke of (laughs) like, this is not actually said to a man. It was said to a woman, but she's posting it like it was said to a man. And and people are like outraged and the women reading it are just like, we call this every day. Um, like (laughs) this is like our life. And, but it has, um, really opened up my eyes. And I, I have some close seminary friends to thank for that as I've um, just talked to them through things that I've been through recently and some even just accusations against me and my character. And they've stopped and said, would they say that to a man? Like, would you say that to a young man? And just, you know, I think about maybe a scenario like your friend, you know, when they were kids, if uh, if you're in that Sunday school circle and you're going around and saying, you're going to be a great preacher, you're going to be a great preacher. And if one of those little second grade girls and all of her second grade sass stood up and said, I'm going to be a great preacher, you know, they would be like, no, you can't, you know, or, or you are so prideful. Like you can't ever be a preacher because look at that pride that's coming out of you thinking that you deserve to do this but they would never say that to a young boy who says they encourage it, in fact, and are like, yes, you're right. You're going to be so good. And so it's it's one thing I think that has been a good sort of rule of mine lately is just to think um, whatever it is, specifically in church, would I say the same thing to a man? And I catch myself, to be clear, doing the same thing. I don't feel confident in my ability to do this and even in judgments that I will make about myself or other women. And I'll catch myself thinking, you wouldn't think that if that was a guy. Like you wouldn't be so harsh and judgmental towards her. You would absolutely encourage whatever gift or encourage them to pursue that executive pastor position or that, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so to be clear, I catch myself in that too, but I think it's, it's been a good question for me to just constantly ask, would you, would you do or say that if she were a man? There's a Taylor Swift song about that. Well, it took a while, but we finally got to Taylor Swift. So we did, good. we did. <laughs> She's the queen. <laughs> what do you think, yeah, Jennifer? Yeah, I'm. 
Well, I mean, I think for me as someone who is a part of a church that does, you know, make sure that women are on the leadership team and all of that. So clearly that is a hurdle that we have jumped over. Um, The thing I would say is that there sometimes it feels as if it's almost like a patting on the back. Well, you know, oh, we checked off that we have three women on the leadership team and it's equal now. And for me, that almost feels as if it's being a token. Like Mm. I, if I were ever on the leadership team, I don't want to be on it because I'm a woman. I would just want to be on it because I have something to contribute, right? And so it's just like a very fine line because, I mean, in some ways, it's a beautiful thing that we are considering that. But at the same time, um, it can feel um, a little dismissive to always have to point that out because we don't point that out about men you know it's just like oh he's a good fit for it right but but so I don't know I just think that there is room to grow in terms of um just kind of the language around it um and always feeling as if it needs to be pointed out um to make things equal I feel like it's when it will really truly be equal is when we're not having to constantly say that we're making it equal, right? Mm. That, that it, it just like, it's, it's not, it's just like natural. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course we would have her on because she's great, you know? And I, I mean, I think in general, that is, that is where we are. Um, But just every now and then there's just a little bit of a, a feeling of like, well, you know, is it just because I'm the the token female and, and now we can say we have that checked off. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And yeah, I think that's good. And I do think, um, yeah, you, you don't ever want it to be performative. Um, right. Exactly. One thing. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see power as a really big component too that um I don't hear me calling out your church I have no idea what those meetings look like but I've been in other scenarios where a woman might be in the room but she has no real power in that scenario like she might be like a token woman and so they can check off the box and sort of throw their hands up and be like well we have women in leadership here but does she have the same amount of power as the men in the room? And how do you, as leaders, give your power away? Mm. What does that look like? Does that, um, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like, you know, specifically in conversations. But do you give power away to people that don't look like you? And I would add people of other color in that as well don't have one guy on the elder team because he's the token person of color you know or whatever are you giving the microphone to people like that you know that don't look like you are you what what other spaces do you occupy power that you can give away 
to somebody of a different race or gender than you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are great. And I, I, I don't want it to appear as if I'm pushing back against either of y'all's comments because I think they're very, very good and valid. But I, I think, you know, because I've noticed some of this myself in that, I mean, we are transitioning from, I mean, very much still a kind of what was a male-dominated leadership structure to one that is, is attempting to be more inclusive and and I have to catch myself in that of like are the are the men always still the ones to to speak mm-hmm. up first, and how can we how can we create an environment where that doesn't just naturally happen, where the mm-hmm. men are the, are still always the first to speak to, to speak up first, um, and and or how can we yeah just not not that that's a good point about just not harping on this fact that hey there's there's equal opportunity for both and just um just providing providing those opportunities for as they may come but because even like um so so thomas and i have even talked about this with uh some of like our wednesday night conversations where thomas and i have kind of debriefed with some of our wednesday night conversations before and been like man that was too male heavy of voices <laughs> because a lot of times I think just because of the way that a lot of us are used to kind of things working, it's like the, the men are kind of the first ones to fill in those awkward silences either because they're, they've kind of been in those positions before or whatever it may be. And then, then that just kind of perpetuates that cycle of, of the men are mm-hmm. the ones who kind of, Get get at least first voice or or crack at at input and influence. I think it's good that you recognize that though. Um, I'm thinking of there's two seminary friends that come to mind that are male, and when I've been either in a large class situation or even a small group situation, you know, the Northern has a fair amount of females at it, but sometimes you still you know might be put in a small group where you're the only female in that group but there's two guys that come to mind that have over and over when the conversation gets like that and I maybe don't quite feel like I can get in there in a word in edgewise or I might be even questioning myself like massive um oh what's the word where you don't believe that you should be there imposter syndrome (laughs) Um, That is like a real thing for women, for sure, in seminary, but I would venture to Mm. say in church spaces as well, especially that are opening up spaces to women, just constantly questioning yourself, that I'm amazed that many of my male friends do not have at all. They're just like, they will just spout out their idea and... (laughs) And just think that it's right. I'm like, man, to have that confidence, like I do not, I'm always second guessing everything that comes out. But these two guys are really good about stopping their male counterparts and saying, hold up, we haven't heard from Karen yet. And I really value her opinion. I want to know what she thinks. And so they will use their voice to kind of, socially navigate that male system when it starts to rise up and take over the female voices in the room they will use their own to navigate it and say we need to hear some more women you know in this context and i think that'd be awesome for churches plus i see 
Um, I know you have had me preach on Mary and some women, and I really appreciate that. I, because I do think it matters to hear about women from women, but I also mm-hmm. think there is great power when men speak about other women in such a positive way. And like, I do want to hear the sermon on Mary and Martha that you're preparing, but to... Well, I'm going to defend Martha hardcore on Sunday, so you can, uh, you can listen to that. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> but to use your, that would be an example of that giving away of your power. You have power and that's not necessarily right or wrong as a male white middle class it's just the position you're in but how are you using that in those Wednesday night conversations and those elder meetings are you giving voice to women are you making sure that they're heard and even using your voice as a male to step in and say we haven't heard from these women we need to hear from them right now but also from the pulpit you know and speaking highly that Mary was choosing the right thing too. And that meant being a theological student. Mm -hmm. She was sitting at his feet um, and he was her rabbi. And that means something. And if you're a woman in this room, like you can, that's a good choice too. (laughs) You're going to be a great preacher one day too, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the struggle I had with that story is like, it turns into like elevating Mary's spot but almost like then vilifying or demeaning acts of like other types of service or ministry. Mm-hmm. And like it can be both. Mm-hmm. It, can, it, it doesn't have to be choose one or the other. Well, maybe it would help to flip it and think, you know, all of those stereotypical ways we've heard Mary and Martha preached and Mary chose better, but Martha's over here working her tail off. I've always heard that preached to women but what if it right. was preached like that to men? Right. Like, <laughs> of exactly. are you, you know, clean in the church? Are you making coffee for your wife every morning? Is dinner ready when she gets home from work too? <laughs> like, all of these hospitable things that are good, but you men too could also possess these gifts. They're good for your home and they're good for the church too. It doesn't matter that she was female or not. Um yeah. They're both good. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Jennifer, do you have any thoughts there about ways to more fully empower women? I think I've already basically said it. Like, my only thing with that, like, because I did hear, like, you and Thomas talking about, you know, oh, it was male heavy, is, like, it still felt like it was creating a division, and and it almost mm-hmm. kind of felt like, oh, you're handing over the floor to the women, you know, like that kind of thing. To, to me, that feels almost kind of like it's still propping males up as kind of the authority. And And what I'm saying is I don't need you to, like, set the stage for me. Just, like, give me the opportunity to be there. And I I trust that I can do it for myself is somewhat of... The feeling I have so it's almost kind of a little bit of an opposite approach to it um but yeah like I, I guess the thing for me is just that it would as long as I feel like there is like a, a level of of respect in what I'm being said like trust that I can handle it for myself and and um 
and I don't need the permission to speak type of thing from males. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I get that it's like totally a very fine ba balance there because to some extent, you know, you don't want to walk all over. You, you want to be sensitive to the fact that, that the women aren't talking, yada, yada, yada. But at this, but to discuss it and, and do that almost kind of feels a little demeaning at the same time. So I don't know. Yeah, I hear that. Um, I think, and those, yeah, those are good things to be aware of. I, I think for me, what it has been sort of what I notice is that typically in situations where there is like a mix of men and women, what I have at least noticed is when there is sort of a pause, it feels like it is typically the men who will first jump in to fill that pause with saying something. Confidence. You know? Yeah, like you were saying. Yes. Yeah, confidence. Yes. Because those spaces have traditionally been the places where men have had the freedom to speak up. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's for me what I'm feeling. And, and so I, I, I hear you. Like, I don't want it to be like it's men like saying, okay, like here, we're giving you permission to have the microphone, so to speak. But, but to try to promote situations where, for one – our, our men are okay just sitting back and waiting. <laughs> um, but, and for our women to feel like they have the confidence to, to speak up, but, but for there not to feel like there is that division. And, and I get that, yeah, there's, there's probably ways I need to, to learn how to, to talk about those things still and to, um, to try to make those things more equal so that mm -hmm. there is this idea that because I know that there are, there are people, men and women, who want to come and just listen and sit and, and be there. And that's great. Mm -hmm. um, but the, that we're providing the opportunity for anyone who wants to have a voice to have a voice and to participate the, at the level they want to. But I think my, what I have kind of noticed is when, when there have been those moments of like no one's saying anything, it is typically the men who will jump in to fill that perceived void with, yeah. with well, our and, manly and I expertise. Totally, yeah, and I agree. Like, I, I think it actually is, at the heart of it, it is somewhat of, for the people, the women that do want to speak, it is a confidence thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think that's what I was trying to get at earlier was that I feel as if some of, maybe not like an innate feminine thing, but maybe a learned thing is that I don't say what I think with as much confidence as some of the males in the room will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then I get frustrated because I do know that I know, right? I, there are mm -hmm. things I know and sometimes a male will say something and it's wrong. <laughs> You know, and but he says it more confidently. And so everyone just trusts him. So I, I guess for me personally, it would be better. And, and I'm not saying that it, this doesn't happen. I do think this happens for me to just get to practice doing it and to feel as if what I'm saying is being respected. Um, I think that would be better than than 
it being a more blatant, well, Jennifer, what do you think? You're a female. Mm. You know, we want to give female voice to this, right? Because that, to me, feels like I'm still, like, not being seen in my entirety there. Like, that, that feels like an aspect of me. That's not, like, my entire, you know, identity is that. So, I guess, for me personally, like, in a very, like, like um, tangible way, it would just be, like, you know, when I do speak, I would like to be, feel as if what I'm saying is valuable to the group. And I'm not saying that it isn't. But, you know, so perhaps more so than just um, trying to... to you know, be cognizant of it and, and point it out just when, when the females do speak, value them in the same way that when the males speak, they do. And and that will help us gain the confidence to be able to continue to insert our opinions and say what we think and just feel like we're on equal footing. Mm -hmm. I think I, when I hear you say that, Jennifer, like, I think uh, in some ways I'm, have a lot to learn. Like, I feel like you have a lot more agency than I do, honestly, just from your experience of being in spaces that welcome women's voices for far longer than I have. Um, but I also, uh, when I think about what you're saying, I think what resonates with me is, yeah, like I want somebody to say, Karen, what do you think about this? Not because I'm female, but because I'm Karen. Like, mm. because I have experiences that nobody else in that room might have, um, or maybe an education that somebody doesn't have, or just a different perspective. And so I want to be valued for who I am, not because I'm female. That is a part of it. Um, and yes, we need more of those voices, but I. I want to be valued because of who I am. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've thought several, we need to wrap up, but I'll, I've thought several times over this, over this course of this conversation that one of the first times I was at like a conference where there was a female presenter. Um, she was speaking, it was, it was, she was speaking to a group of preachers in churches of Christ. So it was predominantly male, you know, group. And I remember one of the things she said was, stop using sports illustrations in your sermons all the time. And so I still do it sometimes because <laughs> it's the world that I know. Because, you know, you're supposed to write what you know, right? So it's like, I know sports, so I still use them sometimes. But so I'm going to, I'm going to, um, so I, I've, I've thought about that, but I'm going to violate that, that sort of encouragement now. Because another thing that I typically, so I listen to, for instance, I listen to a bunch of like football podcast NFL like focus podcast and what I've noticed in a lot of podcasts is like NFL commentary is still very male driven but in those spaces where there is a female voice the males will go out of their way to compliment the comments made by females Mm -hmm. in a way that seems very patronizing to me (laughs) Like in a way that if, if, um, to, to your question earlier, Karen, it's like if a man had said that, no one would comment on it at all. They would just let it go. But when that's a woman a says point, it, Warren, thank you it's for sharing. Like, it's like, oh my goodness, that's so deep and so rich. Mm-hmm. And like, man, you saw something there. Like, to, and so I, so I've thought several times, like, I think there is some overlap in like 
because because I think it is very difficult for and we're seeing this in sports media right now where it's very difficult, I think, for women to break into upper levels of sports media in the same way that it is for women to break into kind of church voices. Mm-hmm. I think there's some overlap there and there's some mm-hmm. some ways that that women face similar struggles and, and barriers in each space. And so do you all feel like that exists sometimes that there is sort of a patronizing effect, even if there is like something that you say or do I think it can be there again I am in spaces that I'm still thrilled if I'm just invited to the conversation (laughs) (laughs) I got you yeah I mean I think that that's basically what I'm saying it's it there's just a subtle difference when you can tell that people are just hearing you and respecting what you have to say versus someone is just giving you the floor because you're a woman and isn't that great she's talking she's finally talking we let her talk you know that she even had something good to say yeah yeah like and oh that's such a surprise like she actually knows what she's talking about that kind of thing and and so i mean it's just a very subtle thing and i i'm not i guess in some ways I mean, the hope is that it doesn't have to be something that's so intentional. It's just sort of like you start to see them as, you know, worthy conversation partners right there on the same level. Like, like there is no difference, which I think is what we were talking about from the start was like, it shouldn't be that we have to demasculinize the church and bring up the female. I mean, they should be incorporated all together to where there is not one that's better or worse than the other or one that needs to be propped up. It's like just working together in concert. And I think that that's what I'm looking for is like, I just, I don't even want that to even be something that has to be pointed out or, or, you know, seen as something to elevate. It's just the way it is. It's, it's truly equal in that way. Well, that's probably a great way to bring the conversation full circle into to, to help wrap it up for us today. So thank you. Thank you for that, Jennifer. And thank you both of you, Karen and Jennifer, for, for spending, spending time thinking about this with us and, and helping us to, to hopefully move forward in, in some of these areas. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you.